Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 816. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story about a young man that I knew at a previous church. He had come to faith after being arrested and had a great story of conversion. And because of that, he was able to give his testimony at a number of venues and churches in the area. And many were blessed by his story. But one of the downsides of it was because he was such a new convert to the faith, and because he was given all this responsibility and ability to speak and be seen as a leader, it turns out he felt he had a little more wisdom and maturity than he actually did. The first sign of this was when he spoke to the elders and the pastors about how we were not allowing the Spirit to lead our worship services because we used an order of service. Now, it's forgivable because, honestly, if you grew up in church, there's probably a time in your life where you've thought that. But, thankfully, he received the loving correction we gave him. But then there was another moment where he then again declared to the pastors and the elders that there were no good churches in the region. Now, where we lived, if you drew sort of a circle of a half hour, you'd run into a lot of churches. It was not a place where there were a shortage of churches. It was a small town outside of a university town in the Midwest, so there were places to go, and there were different places to go. There were some churches that were more formal, some that were more informal, some large, some small. In fact, most traditional traditions and denominations were represented. But again, he boldly declared to us, none of these are good enough. And when I heard that from him, I knew he was in trouble. Because it's one thing to to change churches. There are reasons for that. There are even places where we can prefer one style of church or one mode of church to another. But when all of the varieties are wrong, when all of the choices are wrong, maybe the problem isn't with the churches, but with you. I tell you this story... Not as sort of a, I have a pulpit and I can finally beat this guy in an argument because he's not here. But as we continue our study of Matthew, at the center of our text is the people's rejection of both Jesus and John the Baptist. And in some ways, Jesus and John the Baptist were totally different. And at the center of our text is Jesus saying to the people, you didn't like John, you didn't like me, maybe the problem is with you. And that's actually going to lead us into a discussion of God's righteous judgment on the people for both rejecting Jesus and rejecting John. 
So let's look at our text, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. And what I want us to see in this first part is total rejection. Follow along as I read verse 16 and 17. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Today's text is a continuation of last week's text. And as we noted then, part of the problem for the people living at the time of Jesus was their expectations. We even saw how John's expectations caused him to doubt Jesus. But then Jesus also spoke to the crowd's expectations on John. This culminated in verse 15, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They should have listened to John the Baptist because he was the prophet who announced the coming of the promised Savior, and you should listen to Jesus because he is the promised Savior. And continuing to speak to the crowd, Jesus compares their rejection and criticism of him to children. So how is that generation like a bunch of whiny children? Jesus has them picture children. Again, there's something earthy. There's something very normal about the metaphors and analogies that Jesus uses. Maybe there was a group of children playing. And he's like, you guys are like those whiny kids. So it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. The idea here is Jesus is picturing... These children pretend playing. Some scholars wonder if the children were pretending to have a wedding or a funeral, hence the dancing and the mourning. But whatever the specifics, the content of their whining is that the other children aren't doing what they want. They played a happy song and the other children didn't dance. They played a sad song and they did not cry. Can we appreciate for a moment how humbling and unflattering this analogy is. Jesus is calling a bunch of adults a bunch of whiny children having temper tantrums. But why is this an appropriate analogy? Let's look at verses 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The people who lived at the time of Jesus and John were like whiny, unsatisfied children. Now, don't worry, I'll get to us later. Because we're not off the hook. But notice how Jesus contrasts his ministry with the ministry of John. So John lived a very separate and ascetic life. John came neither eating or drinking. John did not consume alcohol and he did not attend parties. And because of this, the people did not say he is a prophet. They said he has a demon. 
Jesus, on the other hand, came eating and drinking. Look at their response to Jesus as he relates it. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus consumed alcohol, went to dinner parties, and apparently was fun at parties. Again, we need to appreciate that they would call Jesus a drunk and a glutton. Jesus was a fun guy to be around, not some ethereal floating hippie like a lot of our movies and TV shows present him. You would actually want to have Jesus over for dinner. Now I want to pause for a moment on what he adds that doesn't have a corresponding uh, moment in what they said about John. Not only was he a glutton and a drunkard, Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I want us to think about this because this is an interesting way to describe Jesus. And he actually is describing himself in this. So first of all, we need to remember that when the people say tax collectors and sinners, we need to see two categories that were used back then to talk about obvious sinners. And people who knew they were sinners. Now sometimes the point of a biblical passage is that the people who actually admit they're sinners versus those who won't admit they're sinners. But that's another story for another time. But in being a friend to sinners, it reminds us that Jesus' mission was to save sinners. As Paul says in 1 Timothy This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. It also tells us that the life of Jesus gives us a pattern by which we befriend unbelievers and serve our neighbors without becoming like them. Too often we treat unbelievers like they have a contagious disease and we isolate from them rather than doing the hard work of both loving our neighbors while both at the same time not turning into them. We are sent into our world to turn neighbors into brothers and sisters in Christ. But we do so maintaining our commitment to God just like Jesus did. Jesus is calling you to something that is often more difficult, but is better. Would that all of us be known as a friend of sinners. But then Jesus throws a proverb on the end of this. Now we saw before, again, last week I ended with the proverb of he who has ears to hear, let him hear in verse 15. But yet here in the end of this section, he says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I think the best way to understand this proverb is this, that to say that even though John and Jesus and their lifestyles, which were complete opposites, were rejected by the people, their good deeds, which would be John's prophetic preaching and Jesus' mission to save sinners, demonstrate or justify that their lifestyles are lived according to God's wisdom. The good works that Jesus and John did demonstrate that they were actually God's 
people. It's a little like this. One time, I was involved in a church conflict where it was hard to always know who was in the right. But what really helped me through that season of life was that I looked at one side of the conflict and I saw people with godly character and people who served. And on the other side, I saw people who were angry, bitter, and only wanting to receive. For me, when I looked at the actions of the people involved, I saw wisdom on one side and not on another. Now, the larger argument that will continue on in the next verse is that the people were wrong to reject John and Jesus. The fact that Jesus and John lived very opposite lives and neither life was good enough for the people and their good deeds should have demonstrated to people to listen to and to follow them. And what follows in the next part of the passage that we'll get to in a little bit is that when you've rejected John and Jesus, you have earned God's judgment. But before we get there, I want to pause for a moment and think about living a life of wisdom and the contrast of John and Jesus. Living a life of wisdom will often make you unpopular with everybody. There is something to the Christian life of being too strict for some and not strict enough for others. There are those who want to reject the commands of Scripture to live a holy life. Think John. And they didn't like John. They're like, that guy is demonic. And there are those who want to limit Christianity to following the rules. Think the people that called Jesus a glutton and a drunk. Neither are godly and neither are wise. One is no different than the unbelievers of this world and the other is a brittle performance-based legalism and both will always fail. We are called to something greater. We are called to live holy lives, wise lives, that serve our neighbor while maintaining our holiness. And if you want wisdom, look at the actions of people around you. What do they do? Wisdom shows itself in actions. It's not wise to live exactly like unbelievers, and it's not wise to hate our neighbors. We are called to live wise lives like Jesus and John with firm commitments to the commands of Scripture and a love for the lost. But let's now go back to the larger argument of the passage here because Jesus is now going to shift his focus and he's going to now go to some strong warnings to the people for their rejection and to get them to stop rejecting him. And again, connect this to what has laid before. John wasn't good enough and Jesus wasn't good enough. And they were completely different. And so therefore, their judgment is just. Let's look verses 20 to 24, beginning uh, with 20 to 22. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now to begin the To understand the difficult words in this part of the passage, we need to really focus on verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He is doing this because so far they had not repented. And these were the places who had seen with their own eyes the miracles of Jesus. They had this great blessing, as we'll see in the cities that come after this. They had a great blessing of being the places where Jesus was in person, and yet they did not repent. These people had been given more reasons than anyone else in history to repent, to believe, to repent and believe, and they still refused to believe. The other pattern we're going to see here is the pairing of ancient pagan cities who face God's judgment with current cities where Jesus was doing his ministry. Now, all of the cities listed here, all of the Jewish cities listed here, are along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So they're all in the same area. Let's start with Chorazon first. Woe to you, Chorazon. This was probably about two miles outside of Capernaum, which we'll see later. And in addition to being in the same area, Bethsaida, which is listed with Chorazin, was probably also the home of Andrew, Peter, and Philip. So not only have they seen all of Jesus' miracles, they literally have three disciples that come from them. And these two towns are compared to Tyre and Sidon. One of the commentators gives us a good summary of these two towns, Tyre and Sidon. Don't worry if they're not immediately familiar to you. He writes this, Tyre and Sidon were large Phoenician cities on the Mediterranean, not far away and often denounced by Old Testament prophets for their Baal worship. Let me give you an example from the book of Zechariah. This is from Zechariah chapter 9. Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and find gold like the mud of streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Pretty serious words. So now then, put yourself in the shoes of someone who knew that passage in the Old Testament. Okay? Tyre is going to be devoured by fire by the Lord. It's going to be better for them than for you. Again, because we're not familiar with these cities, it's important to get this background information to understand the harsh language of Jesus to the people who were rejecting him. And that he's sort of shocking them or trying to shock them awake to their need to repent. Look again at verse 21, the second part. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, sackcloth and ashes were an ancient way to visibly demonstrate 
your sorrow and your contrition for sin. It would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, we'll come back to this in a little bit after we look at the second example, but I think it's important to point out precisely what Jesus is saying. First of all, he's condemning them for not repenting, but in doing so, he is calling them to repent. Up until our final breath, we have the opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus. And in comparing them to pagan cities, Jesus is calling them to turn away from their sin and trust in him. Tyre and Sidon were rightfully judged for their rejection of the Lord. But Chorazin and Bethsaida have seen so much more. They have seen Jesus himself. Therefore, their judgment will be more harsh. Now, it's important to note this is not a difference between being judged versus not being judged. But as one author writes, punishment on the day of judgment takes into account opportunity. Just as there are degrees of reward in paradise, there are degrees of torment in hell. This is similar to what James writes in his letter, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now we'll come back to this in a little bit, but I think it's important to understand what is precisely being said here. But let's look at the next pairing in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. As one author summarizes for us, Capernaum was not only Jesus' base of operations, but he performed many specific miracles there that are contained in the scriptures that tell us specifically this was done in Capernaum. Capernaum got the blessing of being Jesus' ministry home, but with that great blessing comes great responsibility. Bad enough to be compared to Tyre and Sidon, Jesus compares Capernaum to one of the worst cities in history, Sodom. Sodom was destroyed by God because of its wickedness. And you can read that story in Genesis chapter 19. But look at verse 24 there. Again, it's similar to what was said earlier. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Think of it sort of like this, to update it and to put it in terms of where we live. The day of judgment will be better for Las Vegas, Sin City, than for Green Bank. Again, Jesus is intentionally offending their self-perception. They have seen the greatest gift of seeing Jesus face-to-face and seeing his miracles in person. And if they still reject after that great blessing, they will be worse off than the worst Sodom. You know, sometimes, and, and honestly, most of the time, 
We don't repent until we are truly confronted with the sin we have committed. We are so good. We are amazing at justifying and excusing our sin. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus compares these Jewish towns to these infamous pagan cities. That Jesus is confronting them with the reality of their sin, of the sin of rejecting him. They have seen more than anyone up to that point, and therefore they will receive harsh judgment. It also speaks to the justice aspect of God's judgment. These people have had every opportunity, and they still rejected Jesus. These people literally saw Jesus face to face, and yet they still rejected him. I think this is one of the ways we see the true justice of God in his judgment. But this is not just a sermon to dump on those people. Be like, yeah, those people should have. What about us? What about our world today? We've, maybe we haven't seen Jesus face to face. But unlike those people, we have the end of the story. And we have it written down. You can get a Bible pretty much anywhere. In talking about the degrees of punishment in relation to knowledge and opportunity, one author writes this, The implications for Western English-speaking Christendom today are sobering. If you are here today and you have not repented of your sins and placed your trust in Jesus, you also need to be warned because, honestly, you know more than the people of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. You know that Jesus came not just to teach and to do miracles, but you know that he died on the cross and rose again. So for you to reject Jesus after hearing the whole story, may I shock your conscience a little bit and say that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. But the good news is that warnings are given when we have an opportunity to respond. Because Jesus is not simply warning. He's saying, repent and believe. And if you're here today and you haven't repented and believe, if you hear this talk of judgment and you know that you've rejected Jesus, you have the opportunity to repent of your sin, to trust in him, and have no fear of any judgment ever again. But it also helps us know, those who have placed our trust in Christ, that there is a warning ministry we have. That God's judgment is real. That there are consequences to rejecting Jesus, and we need to stand firm in calling people to repent and believe. 
The good news is that we can repent and believe and be saved. Just as the people to whom Jesus spoke, the people around us need to hear the warning because they still have time to respond. Let me close up with a couple thoughts this morning by way of summary and conclusion. Number one, wisdom is seen in actions. We are called to live out our faith. You see what someone really believes when you see how they live. It's one thing to say, this is what I believe, but when we actually live it out, there's a wisdom and a truthfulness there. And again, specifically in this context, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. We need to live in a way where we stand firm on the commands of Scripture. And we are called to love and evangelize our neighbors. You can ask yourself this question. Does obeying the Scripture help you to love your neighbor more? Does obeying Scripture make your life different from the unbelievers around you? Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Secondly, do not reject Jesus because he doesn't fit your expectations. As I mentioned before, this passage is a continuation of last week's passage. And here again we see that when people's expectations were not met about Jesus, they didn't like Jesus because he was a glutton and a drunk and a friend to sinners. But they also didn't like John because he didn't drink and didn't eat. And they said he had a demon. The human heart wants to make God in our own image. And when God doesn't fit that image, we reject. Don't reject Jesus because of what you want him to be. We need to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And don't allow your pride to keep you from repenting of your sin and placing your trust in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, those who reject Jesus will in fact face God's judgment. Jesus highlights the great blessings that the people had seeing Jesus with their own eyes. And because of that great blessing, they would receive great punishment for their rejection of Jesus. They had received more information about God's plan than anyone else in history. And God holds us accountable for all the information about Jesus we have. In some ways, we have even more knowledge than the people of Capernaum who saw Jesus face to face. We have the end of the story. Please feel the warning of this passage. Take your sin seriously. Don't reject Jesus. Jesus shocked the people by comparing them to pagan cities like Tyre and Sodom. And if it was true for them... How much more for us who have the entire story of the Bible at our fingertips? Don't ignore sin. Don't justify your life. While today is still today, repent and believe in Jesus, 
and you will find eternal life, not condemnation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning that we would take seriously the warning of Jesus to not reject him. That we would see that wisdom, that wisdom is justified by her deeds. And that we would have soft hearts to repent and believe in Jesus and have no fear of condemnation. God, that we would take seriously our warning ministry to this world, calling them to go from being neighbors to being brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would be a friend of sinners who warn people to flee the judgment of God. And that we would offer them the good news that while today is still today, they can, they can accept that warning and repent of their sins and believe and be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and have the hope of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Green Bank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.